Hi, you're listening to Everyday Impact, a Life Tree podcast inspiring you to take Jesus into your everyday life. My name is Will, and I'm joined today by Caleb, who's going to be sharing an interview that he had with Tina Savea. Yeah, I had the opportunity to sit down with Tina, and man, was it a treat. She shared a lot about her story of coming to value her identity, one, just as Tina, but also as an Indigenous woman seeking to follow Jesus, feeling like these identities as a, as a believer, as a Jesus follower, and as an Indigenous woman were at odds with each other, and how God actually began to bring that together and take her on a journey through her own um, emotional experience in her life and really just essentially helping her find who she is and her voice to the world. For those of us who know Tina, we know she has a powerful voice to the broader community, and it was just awesome to get to hear some of that journey that God's taken her on, leading her to where she is now and the things she's doing today. Well, I always enjoy hearing from her. I enjoy her spunk. I enjoy her humor, and she always seems like she has something insightful to say. Let's listen in and see what she has to share. Well, I'm sitting here today with the one and only Tina Savea. Excited to have you on and just hear some of your story. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. It's about time that I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) We were joking before we started recording. (laughs) Tina's like, yo, I've been waiting for my invite to Everyday Impact for a while. Uh, And I'm like, is it too pushy to like call them and say, I want to be on the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so so a lot of us here at Lifetree and people beyond who may end up hearing this know you as uh-huh. this wonderful person who uh, who's using your voice, who's getting out and sharing your thoughts, and we love hearing from you. Um, I know you're associated with your company, Chahu Threads, uh, that you're doing with your amazing family, mm-hmm. the blanket exercises that you've been running, and uh, this job you've been in this last year as an Indigenous families advocate within uh-huh. the school district. So those are maybe some of the things you do. But before we even dive into how God's led you into that stuff, I'd love to just start with getting a bit of picture of who's Tina Savea from year one to whatever, wherever you want to start. But yeah. like, where did you grow up, family life, whatever kind of formative early yeah. life stuff comes to mind for you? Sure. Yeah, my my name is like Caleb said about my name is Tina. I actually come from the prairies. So I'm uh, I come from Saskatchewan from Treaty 4 territory. And um, I grew up I'm I'm First Nation. I'm Soto and Cree. And I grew up uh, majority of my life on the reserve in Saskatchewan. And um, I think to kind of give like a, a good picture of my life. I need to go back a little bit with my parents with like the horrific history of this country a bit, but mm-hmm. my parents were both in residential school. My my mom was there when she was about 11 years old. I think my dad was there when he was about 10. Mm. And so that's actually where they met. And when my mom was 16 years old, she got pregnant with me. And so she had me when she was 17. They left the school and, um, you know, they were a young family trying to create the best they knew how to be a family together. A couple of years later, my brother was born also. So my mom now was 19 years old with two children. You know, there was a lot, 
that went on in their lives. Like, and, and my dad struggled a bit with alcohol when we were younger. We would find out later in life that it was because of the effects of him being in the school. Mm. But what happened was when we were about four years old, my mom and dad both came. First, my mom came to know Christ. Then my dad came a little bit later. And so we were raised from when I was about four years old, we were raised as Christian. Mm. Um, my parents my parents came to know Christ and then they were... Um, you know, they were, I guess, groomed or taught how to, to be Christians. It it was a bit of a, I think, I think growing up as a Christian, I struggled a bit with, um, because we were taught and who my parents were taught by is that we were taught that anything to do with being native, our culture or anything was evil. Right. And so we had that struggle growing up as Christians and in a, and as in our identity. One of the things that's really coming to me as I listen to you share some of this early stuff mm-hmm. really connects to conversations that you and I have had before, uh-huh. which is about that wrestle of how do I be an Indigenous woman and a Christian? Because mm-hmm. these two things feel like they're, they're, they're different parts of me. And, and I'm feeling torn between them. Yeah. How do they actually come together? Yeah. What's been some of the, the ways that God has actually um, maybe spoken to you or led you in response to that wrestle and that struggle? Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest things is, is my parents did the best with what they had. And even with them being Christians, we grew up not being allowed to have anything to do with, with our culture and mm. You know, when it came to like even like our dances and stuff like that, like I remember being in school and, you know, something was going to happen culturally in school, like whether we were going to like smudge or something like that in school. And we, my brother and I had to get up and leave the room. Mm. And so it kind of, we were separated there. And so that really played like a big part in like my identity as a Christian and being Indigenous. Like I've really struggled with that my whole life. Right up until I was an adult, you know, and then on top of that, not only like being a, a Christian First Nation woman, then on top of that, you have what what we hear in the media and the news about um, Indigenous people. Even me as a little girl hearing, you know, we're nothing but alcoholics. We're addicts. Right. We depend on the government for everything. We get everything for free. We... We're, we're lazy, you know, all of this stuff. And this really played a huge impact on what I thought of myself. And so I was really, I grew up very ashamed to be Indigenous, first off. And then to be an Indigenous Christian was like, uh, I don't know, that was even like harder to live and walk through. But one thing that really helped me later on in, in, in my life, you know, I, I reached a point where when I got into, um, after I was done high school, I kind of, you know, I, I walked away from God and um, I did my own thing for a few years and I experienced a lot of, you know, just being out there in the world. And, um, but during that time, I always knew that Jesus was real. 
I mm. always knew that God was real. I've had experiences with him as a child and growing up in my life, even though things were not perfect in our family and in our home, but I knew that he was real. Um, so, you know, I, I reached a point in my life where I just kind of got tired of all the like, all the partying and all the, just all of that whole lifestyle. And I, um, so I, I was like, cause I was kind of like this person of like, if I'm going to do this, I'm doing, if I'm going to hell, I'm going to hell in like <laughs> full force. In. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to enjoy this. <laughs> and, but it was like, cause I knew that I never wanted to do something half, half ass. Yeah. And I wanted to do it like all in. I was going to do it all in. So, so when I knew that I've kind of reached the end of my, like, this isn't fun anymore. This isn't, I knew that I had to, so I, I gave my life back to God. And then I knew I needed to leave where I was at home. I was at home. I was working. Um, I knew that I needed to leave. And so YWAM came up for me. We had a, a team that came through Polynesian. They were Samoan. Polynesian team and they yep. came through they would come they they would go they would travel across Canada and then they would do like cultural uh, performances and just come and serve in the communities and I think what had happened there was that there was a real easy bridge that was built because these guys were brown like us mm -hmm. they they could um, worship God in their culture in who they are and that was something different for us to see especially as Christians so um I actually didn't see them. Uh, I didn't really, but I was working in Banff and I was uh, just kind of living my life. I was working as a, uh, a maid in Banff and um, I, we were kind of there just to like live the party life. Right. So that's what we were there for. We were working, making money so that we can just enjoy life. And during that time, this YWAM team actually came to the reserve and my mom met them. And my mom was like, talked to the the leader of this YWAM team and was like, I think my daughter would be interested in joining you guys. And um, I had a cousin who was with them at the time. And um, they were like, can we, can, can you stop in and see her on your way back? They were here in Abbotsford and I was at home. Um, well, I was in, in Banff. So they're like, can you stop in and see her on the way back? So they actually came in, seen me. Uh, well, they, they were like, hey, we're coming the night before I knew I had to like behave because right. I was going to meet them at eight 30 in the morning and the missionaries uh, <laughs> are coming. Yeah, the missionaries Get my partying coming. out. Or something. <laughs> so, um, I, uh, I knew I had to behave, but then, um, one of my cousins that I was with at the time, they're like, let's go check out the bar. Let's just go out. We'll just go for a while, you know, just for a little bit, check it out. I was like, no, no, I have to, I can't go anywhere. I need to be like on my best behavior for tomorrow. The Christians are coming. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, what happened was eventually I, it wasn't that hard. I actually uh, caved and we went out and we didn't get home till probably three or four o'clock in the morning. And I was like, so my one thing was that I said, if I go out with you guys, you guys are coming with me to meet these Christians. <laughs> and, um, so they, one didn't wake up with me, but we got up the next morning and I was like completely hung over and, uh, we went to meet these guys at McDonald's. And what I didn't know at the time was that my husband was there. My husband, my, my future husband yeah. was there, but I didn't meet him. And I think what happened was that he was actually in the van because he was fresh from the islands. My, my husband is Polynesian and uh, from Samoa, and he was fresh from the islands. And he got a lot of uh, motion sickness as they were driving through the mountains and stuff. Um, so he 
he was in the van. I didn't really meet him, but I started to meet all these these people. And the leader actually gave me a uh, he gave me an application uh, uh, envelope with an application to go to YWAM and to go for my uh, DTS discipleship training school. And I was like, okay. Uh, thank you. And then I put it under the seat of my car and then I never seen it again. I never knew what happened to that. But then fast forward to a year later, I give my life back to God and I'm like, that popped into my mind. I'm like, mm. I need to get out of here. I need to, I knew I need to get a, get away from the reserve and from home and from my lifestyle in order to make a change in my life. So then I went to YWAM and it's where I was surrounded by these Polynesian people who loved God and could worship God in who they are. Come on. And that was so different for me to watch that and to see that. And I couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand why God allowed them to serve him and to worship him in his, their own culture but I wasn't allowed to do that and so I really struggled with that and uh but it was during that time that I began to find some healing and I knew that being there with them at that time was where my foundation with God was built and later on in years I a couple years later you know I, I married my husband and just having him in my life has been one of the biggest examples of who God created him to be and loving Jesus and being proud of who he is and mm -hmm. knowing that this is who the creator made him to be. It hasn't just been like instant. There's been a lot of struggles through it. Like there's been like, you know, I, I went through a lot of like um, jealousy, I guess, on my part, watching him and him knowing his language, knowing his culture, being so secure in who he is. And I don't know if like any of you are familiar with like Polynesians, but they are one of the proudest, most secure people in who they are. Like I actually joke about my husband and saying that I actually think he walks, he comes, he chooses to show up late to like an event or someplace and walks in so that everyone will like turn and look at him. He's a hard guy not to look at. Come on. He's, a, he's new. You're a stud. Just plain and simple. He is. But, um, I think just watching him and seeing him like that and seeing me walk into a room with my yeah. head down mm -hmm. and not being able to look at people and looking at my feet and the shame that I carried just because of who I am. I think that just watching him and having him like at the beginning was like I had this jealousy and then he had this like, why can't you just be proud of who mm -hmm. you are? Mm -hmm. Why can't you just like, you know, you're like, this is who God created you to be. Why can't you just be proud of that? And I couldn't. And he didn't really understand what a lot of our history was in my family and in, in even in, in Canada with the first, the first Nations. And so there was a bit of that struggle. But he was the one who ultimately had helped me to just come into understanding that God had created me to be Soto and Cree and coming into that place of loving myself and I think having children also mm -hmm. really made me like, okay, it's time to like, you're now you're raising these three children. 
you need to know who you are. If you want them to know who they are, you need to know who you are. That's good. <laughs> it's like God used God used this introduction to this team of Polynesians yeah. through YWAM, but took it to a whole nother level when he led you to marry one of yes. them. You yes. Know? And you've got this this you know, Jesus loving, proud to be Samoan, knows his yeah. culture, husband. Yes. You know, you can't get away from it. It's yeah, no. he, he lives with yeah. you. <laughs> and and that's so good. One of the things that's really stuck out to me is whether it's through your relationship with new or God using other means, mm-hmm. the way you've been able to process and understand the feelings you're feeling. Mm-hmm. And the things that are coming up, mm-hmm. and not running from them, but yeah. actually leaning into it yeah. to understand it. Yeah, I would want to just ask you, what's what's that process looked like? Maybe some stories about yeah. when feelings came up mm-hmm. and how God shed light on it for you. Yeah, um, just how He's used that your own internal process. Yeah, uh, I think. I think what happened for me was that I I actually didn't feel like I had a voice for many years. Like most of my life, I didn't feel like I had a voice. I um so I, I felt like I was silenced a lot. And so what happened to me was that we moved. So we actually moved out here to Van, to uh, the island um, ten years ago. And probably in the first the first couple years, I actually got connected with with a group of people with a great group of people who actually now are like my best friends we were in a workshop like we did we so we did this like 12 week challenge and it was basically during this time what they did is they gave people a voice and so what happened was that I would get up to the microphone for 12 weeks and I was like something inside of me was like I need to speak up but I would get up to the microphone and all I would do is cry and every night <laughs> I would get up like, uh, uh, like I, and I would just hold that microphone and just start to cry. And not a lot of words came out of my mouth, but tears. And I would look around this room and I seen a room about, of about 40 or 50 people just crying with me. And I think during that time, like one of the things as being Indigenous I felt very often is that, you know, non-Indigenous people, white people, let's just say that, have come in and wanted to, like, fix us Mm -hmm. and wanted to, uh, you know, they see someone in pain, they want to come and fix it. They see someone hurting or crying and they want to come and tell you what you need to do to heal or... um, But in that room, I never had that. I never had anyone come and say you know, you really should call this number for crisis or whatever that was. No one did that to me in that room. I just had people crying with me and it was about people feeling what I was feeling. And um, I, you know, and then I had people saying like, almost becoming like cheerleaders for me. And so it was like 12 weeks, week after week, I would get up there and just like ball. And but slowly I would begin to like have words that could come out and like I would be able to talk and talk. And so I actually really believe that it was through that 12 weeks that I found my voice. Mm. And now I um, I actually love to talk, <laughs> I love to speak like I don't I just feel um, that I have my voice now. 
I love to listen to you talk. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people around who do because there's a gift. Mm-hmm. There's a gift you have. Um, and and one of the things I know as I've listened to you over the years that has been the gift is your ability to say things like, I felt ashamed. Uh-huh. You know, like to actually uh-huh. put a label to it. Yeah. I felt uh, confused. Yeah. I felt angry. Yeah. You know, I felt mm-hmm. hatred. Yeah. I really calling it for what it is. Uh-huh. And then the way when you do that, God starts to lead you yeah. into something better. Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit about hatred? Yeah. Because I know we've had conversations where you've told me a bit about that mm-hmm. journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and my question would be, how did God reveal to mm-hmm. you where there was anger or hate in your heart? Uh-huh. And, and, and how did he lead you through it? Yeah, I think, um, so a big thing is, you know, growing up, I've had a lot of, um, a lot of the pain has been caused because of racism. Yeah. And so, you know, when I, I, when I was in this room full of, um, that I was just talking about finding my voice, majority of the people in this room were white. Yeah. There was some First Nations there, you know, there was people from different backgrounds, but majority was white people. And for me to have white people crying for me, uh, crying with me Mm. was a huge deal. Like I was like, I have never seen this before in my life. Mm. I've never experienced this before in my life. White people have always caused me pain. And so to have them cry with me and to feel my heart was so there was so much healing because, you know, I find right now what, what, where I am in my life is like, I've lived many years as a victim. I've lived many years as, um, like you said, with, with, with the bitterness and the hatred in my heart. And I've, I've had to like train myself or I've come to almost identify it like so so I've I found that for me forgiveness has been the biggest my biggest biggest um tool or I don't know what you'd want to say but that has been my biggest thing of for me to be able to release hatred and unforgiveness and uh bitterness and even to this day like I can I've like I said I've I've lived many years with it I've meant I lived many years in this victim place of what has been done to me, how I've been wronged. And I think I've come to this place of like, hey, I don't want to be a victim anymore. I'm tired of people looking at me and feeling sorry for me. Mm. I actually want to be looked at as equal. I want to be looked at as someone who has a voice that that can be heard, that you can listen to, and that maybe like, like you, Caleb, can listen to me and learn something from me the same way I can listen to you and learn from you. Like, that's what I want. That's what I desire. I yeah. don't want to be someone who has looked at it as someone who has been hurt and abused anymore. And so in saying all of that, I realize that, hey, I don't want this feeling anymore so that I have to be able to identify these different things of like hatred and bitterness in my own heart. And so I've come really... um 
I've become really good at identifying them. And I really, I, I realize I have to choose forgiveness over and over and over and over again. And I find that even, you know, watching the media in our country and different things that come up for indigenous people, triggers will happen. Totally. And all of a sudden I feel hatred in my heart again. But now I can identify it. Like I can see it. I'm like, oh my gosh, that doesn't feel good. It kind of feels like it feels very foreign to me now because I've chosen to live a life of like forgiveness and knowing that love is, you know, and love is not, you can't love by just picking who you want to love. But if we really want to be who like Jesus has called us to be to love, it's a it it's about loving everyone. Mm-hmm. And so I've had to come to that place in my heart. It's like I can't just choose to love my family, just to love indigenous people, like and not love white people. Like it's it's so the whole like us and them, I think, has been um really big for me in like I wanna break that down. Come on. I want to I want to be able to feel each other's hearts. I want to be able to to understand and to have empathy for my white brother and sister the same way that I desire for them to want that, to, to have that for me. And so like, okay, I'm going to tell the cat story. Let's hear it. <laughs> um, so last week we just moved into a new home. We got a new home and we're really blessed. We're really happy to be there. I was walking one day and one of our neighbors, she was like, hey, have you, we're missing our cat and da, da, da. She explained it. And then a couple of days later, I seen signs up. Oh, and she told me that the cat's been missing for five weeks. And so, yeah, I actually thought I was like, ah, the cat's probably dead. Like, <laughs> you know, I just kind of think five weeks of the cat not home. So what happened was um, I I was going to my car because I left my cell phone in the car and under the fence of where our car is parked, I could see this cat underneath the fence. And I was like, is that their cat? Like, I didn't even really remember how their cat, like, looked, the description of their cat. So I went behind the fence and I, I took a little video of the cat and I just kind of recorded it. And, and, uh, and then I was like, okay, I'm going to go. So I called the number on the sign. I was like, hey did you find your cat? They're like, no, actually we're going out right now to go look for our cat again. I think like they go out in the evenings, go for a walk. And so I was like, I'm, I seen a cat. I don't know if it's yours, but I have this video if you want to come look at it. And so they came to me right away. And one of the daughters was like, that's Nala, their cat Nala. And, and so they like took off running and the mom, the mom was almost crying. And she's like, Oh my gosh, if this is my cat. Like, so I went out there, we went out there, I went inside my house and I went and I was like, hey, I think we may have found their cat. And so I called my husband and I was like, Neil, we may have found their cat. And he's like, really? I was like, yeah, they're looking for it right now. He's like, well, let's go help them look for it. And so he comes outside and he like literally jumps over this six foot fence. Uh, He could do that. I couldn't. I walked around. (laughs) (laughs) But... So they ended up, they found their cat and they were so thankful. They ended up like bringing us cookies and a plant and everything. But the moral of the story is um, it wasn't about the cat. Totally. My husband and I, we're not, we're not really pet people. We're not animal people really. And, you know, we actually believe the cat was dead. <laughs> but, 
but it was about community and it was about seeing what was important to our neighbors' hearts and allowing that to become important to us. And the fact that like my, my husband jumped over a fence and, uh, you know, like he could have twisted his ankle, he could have whatever that is, but he didn't think of that. He thought about the fact that these neighbors wanted their cat and that what was important to their heart became important to ours. And I think that's what, what we're called to be and to have is community and to, to feel the heart's of those around us, even though their journey is different, even though they walk a different journey, even though they look different, even though they are struggling, whatever that looks like, if we could ask God to just give us that heart to see what is dear to them and what is important to them in their heart and that we could also see that for ourselves. So good. (laughs) Because I'm guessing, I could be wrong, Uh you guys can correct me, but I doubt New has a real soft spot for cats. Not at all. <laughs> and here he's jumping over fences. <laughs> no, not at all. Because he cares about his neighbors. Yes. You know, but when you're when you're talking about this, there's like so many directions I want to go with it. I'm hearing you say like, I didn't want this us and them anymore. Uh-huh, I want this uh-huh. together. And you had these experiences that made you start to have hope for that, mm-hmm. and really seeing forgiveness as the key to uh-huh. unlock those isolating chains or whatever you want to call it right yeah and also being the thing that actually helps build bridges yeah which i've heard you talk about lots before yeah about seeing yourself as a bridge whether it's you know god bridging your love for jesus and your love Mm -hmm. for your indigenous Mm -hmm. culture Mm -hmm. or being a bridge between different groups right and different people um one of the things i've seen you and lillian do so well is Mm -hmm. in your for those who don't know, Lillian Underwood is a friend of Tina's mm-hmm. and they run this thing called the blanket exercise mm-hmm. where you guys take us. I did one of them with you. You take us through an experience where very visually we get to experience and see the way land was taken and taken mm-hmm. and taken here in Canada in our mm-hmm. history. But you guys don't come into it with this like... yeah. Now let us make you yeah. all feel horrible about, you know, yeah. and whatever. But it's like, let's experience this together and then talk. And you, you create this really safe mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. For, for people to share their hearts, mm-hmm. ask their questions. Where did that value for like safe space to, to talk start I think, to come up in you? I think one of the biggest things was that um, goes back to that room for the 12 weeks of mm-hmm. finding my voice. And in that room was majority, it was white people. You know, I would think that finding my love for myself and my identity as being an ind- indigenous and loving Jesus would be that I would just find this, you know, with my own people. Mm-hmm. That was what I thought would happen, but it really wasn't that. It was in a room full of people from all different backgrounds, all different ethnic places also. And but it was people just loving me. And so I think that's kind of where that place of like finding my voice and finding that these people have have created a safe place for me to find who I am, to find my identity and to just um, be proud of who I am. And in saying all of that, also, most of my community right now has become non-Indigenous. Also, I just wanted to point out one more thing was a big part of forgiveness that we need to understand or that 
I had to come to is like, I used to think that forgiving means, you know, we always hear this, but it's like forgiving and forgetting. Mm -hmm. And, but I don't believe that forgetting is a part of forgiveness. I believe that forgiveness is still knowing what was wronged to you or what was done was horrible or evil or whatever that is and understanding that, but moving beyond that for your own soul and for your own sake and your own heart. So that's kind of what even coming out of the blanket exercises, I feel privileged that I'm able to share the history of our people because I still believe that that is important and all of that, but that we can come out, we can come in that and teach that and be a part of that with a heart of forgiveness. And I actually believe that unity is is what's going to what's going to take us to the next level yeah. in even this country right now and is if we stay divided as us and them we're not going to get to that place. So that's why I believe strongly that unity is the way we need to walk this out in unity. And so I've always felt probably like when I started to get my voice and all that, I've really felt strongly in my heart that God has called me to be a bridge and a bridge between my people, the indigenous people and the non-indigenous people, just to come to a place of understanding each other. So that's, that's kind of like what, what I felt. And I think, you know, even in our current times right now, I've really felt the need to use my voice. Yeah. And to use it in a way to, um, for people to to just see what I'm feeling and what I'm going through, and to to be able to carry empathy for my you know my story, my people's story, but having that open heart, like I think I mentioned to you yesterday about. You know, I know we're, we're at a time right now in our country where it's like we're, we want to create safe places for Indigenous people to share, to talk. And I believe that's important. But I really had this, um, which is not very um, popular right now, <laughs> but I had this, this idea that, you know, my white brothers and sisters need a safe place to share also. Mm-hmm because we're in a time right now in our country where people are so afraid to offend and so they won't speak up. So they won't say anything because they're, they're afraid to ask the stupid questions or they're afraid that if they say something, you know, there's almost extremes. There's like people who don't want to say anything and there's people who carry hatred and will say everything. And, um, so I really had this in me in the last little while that I needed to create that safe place for my for my uh, white brothers and sisters to have to feel like they were comfortable to share. Right. Because I've given people, I've I've really let people know. You know, if you have those questions, you can come to me. And I've had people reach out and say, "Hey, I got a stupid question for you," and. Yeah, they were stupid, <laughs> but um, I've I feel honored that people would feel safe yes. with me to be able to ask me those stupid questions, and I feel like if that's what I can do right now, that's what I can do, and so um, yeah, I do feel I feel honored with those, and and I think 
one of the, the biggest things, too, is like I can't speak on behalf of all Indigenous people in Canada. I can't speak on even behalf of my whole like extended family. I can speak on behalf of myself and feel um, and what I am going through, what I'm experiencing right now, what I feel that we need. It's such a healthy place to um, to speak from mm-hmm. and to arrive at. Mm-hmm. And very much of what I've, I'm hearing you say in that, what's needed is listening ears. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and feeling hearts. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's not like, hey, let's all get together and we're going to come up with solutions yeah. to everything here now. What we just need is to actually like, let's just start by crying together. Yeah. And I think that's a thing is like people need to understand it's okay to be just quiet. Yeah. It's okay to just cry with someone. It's okay to, you know, like I just wanted to sh- share something really quick is like yeah. in our cultures, when in, in like my culture and a lot of indigenous cultures, when we have funerals, when someone dies, we have um, like a, a wake, we have a wake where everyone comes. But what happens is a lot of times there's the people who are mourning there's not a lot of people trying to like fix it for them. They're just sitting there with them. And sometimes the room is completely quiet and it's just having people, your presence, knowing that you're there and your heart is there. And I think that's something that, beautiful. Um, you know, sometimes my white brothers and sisters <laughs> that you don't always have to have an answer. And even for as Christians, I think I've had that many times in my life. Sometimes I just, I just need someone to listen to. I don't need someone to start like quoting scriptures of where I'm going to find my answers and all of that. Like, I don't need that. I actually just want someone to listen to me, cry with me. And then if I ask you for your advice, then please give it to me. But unless I ask you, then I really don't want it. (laughs) So I think that's the thing is just learning how to be quiet and to just listen instead of trying to like think of the next thing to say in our head. And I think that's something even in our like society that we don't necessarily do right now is that we don't listen to people. We're just, we're having a conversation, but really in our mind, we're thinking of the next thing that I need to say. Oh yeah. I had something. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And we're speaking over one another and um, yeah. So we need to learn how to listen. Totally. To timestamp this recording for some people who might listen to this years later, mm-hmm. uh, when we're talking about currently right now, state we're at in a nation, is yeah. we're less than a week since it was announced that 215 um, corpses of children were found mm-hmm. in the ground by a residential school in mm-hmm. Kamloops, uh, and it's shaken our community yeah. and our nation. Mm-hmm. Um, not because it's new that we didn't know these sort of things happened, but it's just so raw and in our face right now yeah. and so for those of you listening later that's that's what we're talking about when we say currently mm-hmm. but but having said that i'd ask you knowing that that's where we're at what is your hope for us moving forward together mm-hmm. as a nation as a community what do, what do you believe I, I know we've touched on it probably mm-hmm. in lots of what you've already said but mm-hmm. What, what are you hoping for? What do you believe um, the way forward for us looks like? Uh-huh. I think, so I think in the news of this, there's no denying, there's no denying 
the history and what has happened in our country. And I think as in, like as Indigenous people, as an Indigenous woman, that's one of the things that's like sharing, sharing our stories and sharing the truth of what our families went through. You know, I think sometimes, like we were talking about this yesterday, even about how sometimes as a white person, it's like, well, I didn't do this. Mm -hmm. I, it wasn't my family. Like I, you know, all of that. But I think right now what people don't understand is that we don't, we've never had our voices We've never had our voices for years and years and years. It, it has been suppressed and taken from us. And right now what's happening is that we're beginning to share our stories and we're beginning to share our truth of our history. And in doing that, we're not doing that so that it will raise guilt for people. We're doing that because it brings freedom to ourselves. And at the same time, all we want is acknowledgement that this has happened, not necessarily blaming anyone, but it's acknowledgement and so my hope is, I do feel hope. Like that is, I do feel hope in all of this. I, I want like, I want, the, I want truth because I feel like the truth is going to set us free. I want um, unity. I, uh, my hope is that we would begin to feel each other as a nation together and that we would be able to walk out of this in unity and to have a really deep sense of love for one another through this because ultimately I think it's quite simple I think we've not even in the church but just in general we've overcomplicated it of what it's supposed to look like but really all it's really simple and it's just loving one another yeah. and not loving one another with conditions just loving one another unconditionally and being okay to be inconvenienced and uncomfortable in loving another person. And so I think that's what my hope is yeah. for yeah. us. Well, and, and part of that process of that listening is being able to listen to people when they are feeling angry. Mm -hmm. You know, not being like, hey, cool, come back to me when you've settled down, you know. Um, and, and, and you having that heart that wants to listen mm -hmm. and wants people to be able to come together and talk and share and just walk together to me uh, embodies so much of who Jesus is because mm -hmm. that's what he, he came and dwelt among us right uh -huh. and my uh, my question I'd want to ask you as we're kind of coming near the end of this is in your journey of this self-awareness and this heart for our community as a whole, as a nation, mm -hmm. um, being this bridge, being this forgiveness. Here's the question. Who has Jesus been to you mm -hmm. in that journey? Mm -hmm. It's definitely been um, a process to, to uh, come from where I was as a little girl, being raised as a Christian, and to actually, and to, to coming from a place of, Jesus has all these rules on my life and what I can't do. There's a lot of can'ts that he expects of me uh, coming from that place to a, uh, to even still now, I'm still discovering who he is in my life. But knowing that he's gentle and he's loving, there's a lot of grace in there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um and just standing on that and standing on no matter what I choose, no matter 
the mistakes I make, no matter the swear words that come out of my mouth, (laughs) (laughs) that Jesus still loves and accepts me for who I am and who he created me to be. And I think that's who you just knowing, just knowing that in my heart, just kind of allows me to walk in peace, knowing that no matter what I choose, no matter how bad I mess up, no matter how good I, the good things that I choose, that he's, he loves me the same. He loves me the same in the good that I choose in the same, as the same as in the bad that I choose. So I don't know if that answers your question. It totally does. Because that speaks to how you're relating to uh-huh. people around you. Yeah. As we come to a close, mm-hmm. could you just pray a blessing, whatever comes to your heart and mind yeah. for those who have been listening to our conversation today? Mm-hmm. I think my biggest prayer is for the people who feel like they have no voices. And so, God... I ask you for strength for those people who are listening right now who just feel like they don't have a voice, that they don't have something to say, that their voice means nothing, that they don't matter, that, you know, they're too afraid, that the the fear is bigger than the, the trust of releasing who they are. But Lord, I pray that you would bring a release in those voices, that you would bring a release because... Someone needs to hear their story. Someone needs to hear from them. And so I speak to the mothers who are raising children who feel voiceless. I, re- I, I, I pray for the fathers who are working for their family. I pray for the grandparents who have lived years and years and years without a voice. I pray for the children who have been told to be quiet Lord, I pray for those people and I pray, I pray for the single men and the single women who are trying to find out where they fit in. And Lord, I just pray for those people and I pray that you would release your voice through them. I pray that they would trust the process of just, if it means just crying for 12 weeks, if that's what it means, if it means just crying and saying any kind of blabber that comes out of their mouth, I pray that through that they would be released to be able to have a voice and that they would know that their voice matters and that their words matter and that people need to hear those so that they can be free. And so we pray for freedom over these people in their lives. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Tina, thanks for coming <laughs> in and having this conversation today. Love your heart, love what you carry, and uh, it's just been good. Thank you. Thanks for finally having me. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. That was so encouraging to hear her story. Yeah, it was very rich to hear the journey that the Lord took her on in um, just processing her stuff, you know, to, to come to value more of who she is as a person, the way he used even her husband for that but ultimately then that journey of finding her voice and becoming a person where others can can find their voice in her presence as well. Mm-hmm. Was there anything that really stuck out to you as you were listening to it? I think part of it, when she said about creating a, a safe place for people to ask dumb questions, right. um, 
this is obviously a lot to do with the conversation of race. I feel like I would be one of the people to ask one of those dumb questions. Mm -hmm. But in general, also just feeling like there are people that I can go to or places that I can go to to sort through the mess of my emotions or my process or my understanding without a judgment or a critical remark being thrown back my way. Totally. I think if there's uh, one big thing we could take from listening to Tina today is just that, that we, through how we posture our hearts towards people and even our ears learning to listen, we can actually be a safe person, a safe place for others to come and process their stuff. So I, I would hope for all of us that we'd walk away at least with that from hearing Tina today. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Everyday Impact. And we pray that you would have the grace to become a safe person for those around you. That you'd learn to listen, you'd learn to ask the right questions, and just to be with people in their mess, wherever they're at. It's good. Have a great week.